When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm joined today uh, by a man who may not need an introduction to a Texas fan. His name is Chris Del Conte. Uh, he is the athletic director uh, for the University of Texas uh, and has been doing some unbelievable things. The university itself last year won the Learfield Trophy for the nation's best athletic department overall. Uh, for the first time ever, Texas unseating uh, Stanford in that uh, role. Uh, but I, I want to take Chris back, you know, I want to take Chris back to some things and talk to him today about a number of topics. But I want to start with why he came to Texas in the first place, because I, I don't know that that story is 100% out there. Uh, he had a good, good job at TCU, athletic director at TCU, had done a tremendous job. Uh, gained entry into the Big 12 for TCU under his watch, which was tremendous for that program. Uh, but in December of 2017, he decided to leave TCU to come to Texas uh, and take over an athletic director's role that had been somewhat uh, in a state of turmoil. Uh, not, turmoil may not be the right word, but unrest uh, after uh, losing to Lost Dodds and going to Steve Patterson and then Mike Parent stepping into the role on an on a interim uh, basis for quite a while. Uh, you know, Chris, take us back to that time about why you chose Texas uh, in December of 2017. Well, thanks for having me. What, 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 a, what a treat it is for me is uh, what you've done for our industry for the University of Texas does not go unnoticed. And, and, I, and, I, and I always tell everyone that uh, the job evaluation website, I'm running an enterprise based on people's passion. And rational people become irrational when it comes to their passion. And you, you, you've done a great job of stoking our passion for years as you moved along in your career as well. So uh, kudos to you. I think the opportunity to come to Texas is why Texas. I, I, I had a front row seat uh, from TCU. What a great job. I love TCU. It was great for my family. I loved Rice. I got in sport, not necessarily to be the director of athletics at the University of Texas, but it was just an opportunity to get a job. Growing up in a children's home, it was one of those things where I got my first job, a house parent that used to be at the ranch, got me a job in the maintenance department. I never dreamed about being an AD. I just wanted to be an assistant AD so I could have a badge so I could walk on the field and see you on the sidelines. It was this whole thing about how, did, how does that guy get a job? And I was just working my way up through the maintenance department. And I got my first job and the rest is history, sort of say. But at TCU, I think once you get to, to the position of where you're at at Texas Christian University, it was a great job, but there's only one Texas. And you know, there's four or five jobs in the country that the, the straw stirs the drink. And watching the demise of what has happened, the, what was going on around college athletics at that time, when the University of Texas had three ADs, we had three or four football coaches, presidents under the turmoil from, from just our leadership up top of the regents, the chairman, all those things were really, really just a far watching it going, okay. And then what can, when, when, when President Fembus, and then other jobs had come and asked me to come. And every time there was always an excuse. I can't do this job. I can't do that job. I don't know what it was. Was it not ready? Was it not? 
the gods say that's not a good job for you. I just don't know if there's nothing that ever appealed to me when President Fenves called and said, I have a job. And I remember there's a job in the West that just opened up and my wife said, hey, we're kids of junior in high school. We're not doing that job. And I'm like, all right. When Texas came, and I didn't even discuss it really with her. I just said, okay, President Fenves, we've got a handshake deal. <laughs> I got to go home and do this. But really was, I thought that what I could bring to the table uh, a united Texas is a reckoning, and we, we have facility issues, we have turmoil. The, there's a challenge. I always say, can you ride Bebo? The idea of riding Bebo for eight seconds. I, the loss did it for 33. You never know how it's going to be, but the challenge of the University of Texas is such an immense job. Uh, there's so many. I, you get all the credit, all the blame half the time, but putting the BBs back in the box, as Coach Royal said, was a tremendous challenge to see if we can put ourselves to where we rightfully uh, need to be. And Combining athletic programs, I would be the first AD to combine. They remember, there are separate men's and women's programs. So the challenge of combining athletic programs under one roof, uh, stabilizing our athletic program financially, put us in the great position to to uh, to move forward. All these things were on paper. Like, yeah, this would be a great challenge. I, and I needed something. I needed a challenge, Bobby. I mean, we had done everything we had done at TCU. Um, now I was just growing weeds to pull them at the end. Like we need a project. I was manufacturing projects just to get myself intellectually enthusiastic about the opportunity. So when I just described everything that was going on in Texas, you knew the landscape. I felt that was, a, that was the most formidable challenge in college athletics. In life, we have one rodeo. And if Texas calls, you got to jump at it. Gotcha. I, I want to segue that, that kind of discussion because I'm sure um, that some of the coaches you've attempted to attract uh, – to Texas uh, are going through some of the same things. Chris Beard, for example, uh, a year ago, almost a year ago this week or in a couple of weeks, right? Um, you had to lure him to Texas away from a very comfortable situation at Texas Tech. I mean, how does that, how does that, you know, uh, how does that, how does your own personal experience allow you to have some insight into what coaches themselves are also doing in trying to lure a, a successful coach at a in-state university to yeah. Austin. Well, let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll work our way back for a moment. The coaches that we've hired here, whether it be Bruce Burke, one of the national championship in, in, in tennis, you look at uh, um, Mike White, good job at Oregon, went to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City five times. Vic Schaefer at, at, Michigan, at Mississippi State, at flow at, uh, at Kentucky and track and field, and then Coach Beard. Those for a moment, those coaches for a moment as head coaches, we were trying to say, look, this is the, our age group of people, Bobby, all, all know what Texas can be, right? And the winning traditions of the University of Texas shall not be in charge of Tim of the Week. It's just, it's not a cliche, it's factual. They've seen the power of the brand. So all of a sudden, if they all want to win a national championship, and they have resources behind them. You have recruiting behind them. You have a dynamic city behind them. Will they jump on board with the vision? Each and every one of them, when I went and met with them, was about, let's restore Texas. We need to be a top five program in every sport that we participate. We said top 10. My goal is to be a top five in everyone, but our goal at that time was top 10. Can we be a top 10? I need your help. This is going to be a partnership. So we started just looking at each coach, whether it be Schaefer, whether it be Flo, whether it be Mike White, knew what they built. Here's what Texas offers you. Let's come do this together. And they were just so excited for that opportunity. Um, and it's just how we build our case. You know, you, you, 
uh, it's like Ben Gay. You apply a little heat and you just can continue on and continue on. Eventually, <laughs> it'll break. So with Coach Beard, I knew this was his alma mater. I knew he loved Texas. So I just worked diligently at the relationship. Yep. Well, I, I tell you what, he has uh, brought renewed passion to the basketball program from an attendance perspective, uh, uh, especially for the student uh, body level, which was, uh, it's refreshing to see as a former student myself. Well, and he saw it from way back in the day and he had a blueprint and so did Vic. It's interesting to see Vic and he go about it so differently, but they have the same as they say, rising tide floats all boats. What's interesting about other coaches here is that they demand excellence of themselves because you demand excellence of them. And therefore, it puts pressure on us. I remember Bobby, when I first got here, I went to my first retreat. And I took all our head coaches for a retreat. And we sat there and Eddie stood up and said, the heart and soul of Texas is no longer here. And I said, what do you mean? If Mac's not here and Ricky Barnes isn't here, we've been a wayward ship for a moment. I found that interesting coming from a head coach of his ilk. So I said, okay, guys, what do we got to do? And we sat down and we and we put a, built a blueprint together. And our next head coaches retreat this summer, we'll talk about what's going on in, in the years, in a couple of years now, they're all with the, with the move to the SEC. But every year we have this retreat and we just talk about Texas athletics and what we can do to help each sport be great outside of blocking out the noise of, the, of our fan base is really just say, what do you need? But when Eddie said that, that 10-year wayward window was really struggle for everyone because no, you know, they Mac was really close to the student out to our coaches. Same with same with Barnes and same with Augie. When they all left, and uh, then we had then we had we lost to loss. We had Steve, we had Mike, a lot of turmoil. We went from three or three different presidents, four different chancellors. All this stuff was happening. Who took the brunt of it was athletics because it's the front porch of the institution. So we had to figure out a way to galvanize ourselves, circle the wagon around each other. And then add pieces to that. And Chris Beard has been a tremendous piece because he gets Texas because he was here. And he understands. So now we're building everything around what he's doing. Every coach said, let me take a little bit of what he's doing. And it's pretty cool to see and watch. Good. I mean, I, I think that, you know, anytime you can uh, uh, get take good ideas and replicate them uh, across Sports is outstanding. Uh, you brought up uh, the SEC uh, during that last uh, discussion. Uh, there are some some people think, oh, wow, is it, it, there was a video last week that uh, Jay Hartzell, the president of the university, put out that ended with the SEC logo. Um, I, you know, I know you're not going to break news here or anything like that uh, on this uh, video cast or podcast. But for you, what what is your foresight into the SEC? What's the official stance? Uh, with the university from a timing standpoint at this well, point. Well, let me talk about that video for a moment. That was the video that I produced, uh, that we athletics produced for our capital campaign launch. So we had our public phase of the capital campaign uh, and, and the, the idea that we have a $750 million goal. The university has a $6 billion goal. These are big, audacious goals, big, audacious goals. And it was Earl said, it's not where we've been. It's where we're going that matters. Well, when you're raising money and you're setting a vision, you're setting a tone of what's going to happen. That was the ending of the video was, hey, this is where we're going. And the idea that the expectations that we're still going to continue winning championships is there. No matter where we're going, we're going to need your help along the way. That was the crescendo. And Jay looked over and goes, yeah, press said, <laughs> fantastic. He got out ahead of me a little bit, but it was spectacular. 
Uh, so that's the idea. Now, the Southeastern Conference, I want to be very candid on this, is when we were looking at um, so many things have changed, whether it be the tax loss, whether it be uh, whether it be who we play at home. We don't have a real rival at home. Our rival, we play in a, in a neutral site. Um, it, you know, I, I loved our time in the Big 12. But when you start to look at where our brand is and where we're going and what we need to do, when President Hartsfield got tired here, um, it was just a crazy time because I had asked President uh, Fenvis to call Vic Schaefer and welcome to Texas. And he goes, I can't, I'm getting ready to go to Emory. I was like, that's how I found out. Then the next day, we, 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 he's gone. We have it, President Hartsfield's interim. And then we go right into civil unrest. And during that whole time, he has such a steady voice. He goes, hey, what's your big audacious goals? I mean, my man, I go, man, right, right now, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of the other. We're in the middle of COVID. We got civil unrest and we're just, and he goes, okay, let's, let's, let's move that to a side and let's talk about big audacious goals. And that's the, what, the beautiful thing about President Hartzell is he has this long range vision. Let's not get stuck today. Where are we going? Let's harness the power of Texas. And during those conversations, we just talked about where we, the landscape of college athletics. We read the book, the Premier League. We were just visualizing, he goes, Time for us to, to, to look at opportunities. And the Southeastern Conference was an opportunity that we looked at uh, over the course of conversation. And, and uh, we put ourselves in a position, uh, thankfully, the SEC said this is a good time for us. So we need to do something for Texas, uh, uh, not playing AM, not having the traditional rivals of, our, of Arkansas. Remember, in 1903, we were one of the original members of the Southeastern Intercollegiate Athletics Conference, which is a precursor to the SEC. So I'm stretching it a little bit, but we used to be there. Then we went independent and we joined the Southwest Conference. So in essence, we're just coming home. Yeah, it, ta it, ta it takes a century to get back there, huh? <laughs> well, you know, Magellan took a little while to get around the globe, too. You know what I mean? We're like Captain <laughs> Cook. We're just cruising. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, uh, Chris Del Conte, Athletic Director of the University of Texas, joining me here on, on Texas Football. Uh, tomorrow we'll have our weekly episode state of the program with inside texas publisher eric nalin please join us for that uh chris you mentioned the capital fundraising projects that you've got going on in the big big raise uh 750 million dollars the moody center um i from what i'm hearing everybody loves it some people have been through toward it a little bit already uh that opens next year right um what are the next big capital projects that you're focused on and I've got to ask, uh, football fans are going to want to know, what, any plans right now for an indoor practice facility improvement? Yeah, let me back up for a moment just because you, you started. If you notice in the last six months, we did the Hall of Fame. We did baseball. We did softball. We did track and field. We did soccer. We've we, with, the practice, with the basketball practice facility, it's a $60 million practice facility that we're building right next to the, uh, to the new Moody Center. In that, it's going to be practicing for both men's and women's basketball and rowing. There's a section there for rowing. The reason being is we had to cantilever over this particular space and it created this massive space. So we said, why don't we put our, uh, our rowing team in there for, for them for them to have an on-campus facility? So every one of our facilities has been touched during the first three years of, of, of you hiring me here. We gave every coach $10 million, some to 12 to go fix their facilities. We just finished up a $200 million football facility. Uh, um, we hired Steve Sarkeesian, who has done an amazing job with all your all's help with this great recruiting class of what is taking place. It's phenomenal. And we know the building blocks are being placed. I, I tell you, and Bobby, you know this better than anybody. How many, how many student athletes left the last two recruiting classes before Steve got here? What's the number? Uh, more than half. More than half. When you start to think about more than half of your last two recruiting classes are not here, 
we went through a big, big time. How many kids do we have on scholarship this year? About 67 kids, barring no injuries. So we knew it was going to be a tough, tough time. But Steve's offensive mind, we knew where we were going. I saw holes and where we were at, but there was times when people didn't want to hear that, right? I came out, and there's no excuses to lose some of the games we lost. But at the end of the day, I knew what we were dealing with. And the footprint that was going to be, Steve looked at our roster and goes, how do we have eight offensive linemen on scholarship and 18 wide receivers? At Alabama, we had 20 offensive linemen and eight wide receivers. You know, we had no meat and potatoes up front. That's been addressed in this recruiting class. We only had one offensive lineman, I believe, Bobby Wright drafted in the first round since 2008. So think about where that looks like in terms of the brand, what we're doing, but where, where we need to invest in the trenches. And I love how, how we're attacking this recruiting class. So all these investments have been in place. The Moody Center actually opens up in a month for concerts, but not for basketball next year. So really... Long and short, the last major aha project we have to deal with is the practice facility, an indoor, and we're working through that right now. What I'm really trying to figure out is where it's going to go. So a lot of conversations with President Hartzell. I got a wish list, and he's like, okay, but there's academic space here. We're going to tear down uh, the Irwin Center here. Uh, here's where you know, the hospital expansion is going to go. So there's some moving parts there, but uh, we're, we're getting very, very close um, to, to knowing where we're going to go, and then we'll launch that uh, last phase of our campaign here pretty relatively quick. I don't anticipate it taking probably six months and then we'll be ready to roll. It's interesting. So you're really right now, you're in the, you're trying to identify and, and lock down a location is where, where you're at in that. I have a couple of locations, but I really want a location. Fair. But, but the a location needs, it has to be a juggling act. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I you know, the, the university's grown obviously since I was there. I mean, now it's, uh, the, the academic buildings, the whole, it's not just, you know, if you're a former student like myself and haven't been back to campus, uh, it, the newness of the buildings are crazy. The, everything that they've done from not just, not just uh, athletics, but uh, it's just been crazy. I love the Hall of Honor, by the way. I think that's absolutely fantastic job by, by you and your, your team there. Um, you know, I, I look at it right now, and a couple of moves made this offseason, but one of them was Gary Patterson coming to Texas. Um, you know, I know you've, you've known him forever, basically, right, uh, since you've been in it. Uh, did you, what role did you play in him uh, coming to Texas? I, everything I hear from uh, the closed doors is that Gary Patterson absolutely loves Steve Sarkeesian, Pete Kwiatkowski, just thinks they're good football coaches and good people and likes being around them. But obviously, I think your familiarity with him, and it's, it's, a, it's tough because he's been a head coach before and he's coming out of a place where, I mean, they have a statue of him outside the stadium, right? And so, you know, my question is, how did that all come about and how's it playing out? What's it, what does he do day to day, that sort of stuff? You know, it's interesting. It came about because of Steve. See, Steve was very used to, remember uh, two years ago, uh, uh, Nick Saban had 10 former head coaches on staff, 10. When you look at, you look at Lane, you look at Steve, you look at uh, um, coach at Maryland, you look at, look at the, uh, the coach at uh, um, uh, Charlie Strong, you had Mike Stoops, you had, uh, um, I'm, I'm missing his name, uh, you had, not Butch, but uh, Loxley, you had a bunch, you know, the, 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 at one time, there was 10 former coaches on. So Steve was very familiar with that. And what, what Nick was looking for and how he wanted this, this situation. And, and uh, 
when when TCU and uh, Gary decided part ways uh, middle of October, the phone rang, and then it was Coach Sarkeesian. And I said, hey, what's up, Coach? And he goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, come on over for the office for a hot moment. I roll over, and he goes, do you think there's a chance that Coach would come here? I said, I don't know, but I'll put you two together. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. PK, Choate, they all known Gary forever when they were boys and Gary, and you know, Gary coached, when Jer Gary was coaching at UC Davis, uh, the coach of Boise, Pete was the quarterback coach there. That's how long that tie goes back. So we were, when I was at TC, we played Boise. They were, staffs would come down and, and train with, with Gary in the off season. They would get together all the time. Very familiar with each other. He goes, do you think you'll come? I said, I don't know, but it's up to you two. Pete, so, so, uh, Gary, uh, I mean, uh, Steve initiated the conversation to me. I called Gary and said, Gary, you're going to get a phone call from, 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 from uh, Steve and uh, you need to, you guys have a discussion. That took a long time from that initial, I'm no longer the coach at TCU, Sting, to we're going through our own trials and tribulations at, at our campus. We were, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with, we're dealing with the depleted rosters, We'd have big leads all of a sudden. And you know, Bobby, you and I sat with the game. As soon as you pinned us back at the 10 yard line, we were good when they put when they, the, the defense pins their ears back. We had no, no, we were really great when we got the ball to the 30, 40 yard line. When we got, a, we got pinned back, it was like we didn't have enough juice to do anything. We had one sustained, really sustained drive against TCU, that long drive. Other than that, when we got our ears pinned back, whether it be Baylor, whether it be Oklahoma State, whether it be Oklahoma, it was, we never got bad field position. It was one, one thing after the next, it just, we were in that, in that spiral for a hot moment. So Steve was dealing with his own issues. We were dealing with our own issues. And uh, here comes Gary and they had this conversation and they just vetted each other out. Gary would come down, they would meet all of a sudden, what, what are we going to do and not do? And Gary goes, you know, I, I'm not interested in taking anyone's job. I really want to just help Steve. I love the guy. I love his personal story. I love what he's all about. Um, I love PK. I love Choate. They had these really in-depth conversations that sometimes coaches don't have or we don't think that they have. And he came in one day and goes, I just want to help him any which way I can. That took two months of conversations and maybe just, okay, and all of a sudden, well, I don't know when we officially hired him, but it was them having that long-standing back-and-forth conversation. I think probably it was January when they said, okay, let's, let's, let's do this. But I was just the connector. And then I really, what I did was I stayed out of it because there's no way that I wanted our fan base or Gary or Steve to think I had anything to do because it was really all Steve. It was all Gary. All Steve asked me was, Hey, do you think he will do it? And my job was just to go and add a little like a food coloring to a nice glass of water. Just put a little burn orange drop in the old mindset and see if Gary will bite at it. And then they fished each other's pond for a while. Then here we are. Gotcha. Um, you know, I, I feel like uh, 
Obviously, uh, he's a, a talented coach, and, and I think it's a feather in Steve Sarkeesian's cap that he's in Austin now. Uh, so those things are uh, reality. Um, people don't realize how busy someone like yourself is. I, I just wrote this, wrote this, all this stuff down. Basketball team getting ready to be in the NCAA tourney. They're playing in Kansas City this week, and then you got the women's basketball team also playing. Uh, you got the number one baseball team in the country that was down in Houston this week. You've got the Texas Relays coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, you've also got season ticket sales going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how are how are those going at this point in time? And tell people when the first. I think there's a the first uh, levy or whenever is coming up later this month, right? Well, and then you, just to just to add on that, we have the, the national championship of men's and women's swimming right around the corner. This weekend is the indoor national championship for both track and field, which were ranked one and two in the country. It's pretty awesome. What's great is that we have you had tennis, you had all these sports and golf's on it. And the, our student, our coaches are feeding off. We have a we have a monthly uh, every monthly. Uh, we have an all staff meeting every six weeks, and we have a, a head coach meeting every month. The energy around our head coaches are just awesome because they're just you could just see them. They're just absolutely just engaged in the opportunity, which is fantastic. And, and you know, season tickets are, is our lifeblood. Uh, the idea uh, of renewing your season tickets coming off really two years of COVID because we had that one, you know, things about two years ago, we had a, we had a small fan base. Last year, we had 98,000 people at Kansas game. You know, we have to do a, a, a lot better job of creating a better uh, home, home field environment for fans to come and spend their discretionary income with us. But the renewal process right now is going fantastic. I feel great about it. We have uh, our first date. We'll be here. We'll come up shortly. And then at that point in time, we'll say, okay, you have until with, I, I don't have the top of my head when the actual renewal date uh, is set for, but once that date is set, then you have, uh, uh, I think it's two weeks from now, if I'm not mistaken. So we have two weeks to get, to get our season tickets in. And we're, we're ahead of pace, but like anybody else, no one's going to buy that ticket. They do all the, we do all the renewals like the last three days. So right now I'm in the middle of, of, an, of, of, a, of a, a different crisis, but I'll look on Monday where we're at the last two weeks. But we had a meeting yesterday and I saw our numbers. We're pacing just a little bit ahead of the LSU year. So, and then I baked that because what you end up having is you got LSU, you had Notre Dame, you have these USC here. Those are the, those are the years that you benchmark where your renewal processes are. In the meantime, I've also decoupled basketball from football which has caused a little bit of consternation but we're going from a 17,000 seat arena to a 10,000 and 50 percent of our donors were using a football priority seat to buy a basketball ticket and 50 percent of our donors are just buying a basketball priority seating ticket we didn't raise any prices we just separated them so there's no new increases we just separated the two to say you have to be basketball basketball football football long and short we're we're, we're right on pace but we should blow it out of the water in the next two weeks because no, it's like paying taxes. April fifteenth, we'll wait till April fourteenth to put it in the mail, and I'll know I'll know more then. You did your State of the Union uh, commentary on the Longhorn Network, which I enjoyed. I, I thought that was tremendous that you come out and do that. Uh, I think it's good for Texas fans to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Right. Uh, one of the things that you uh, took ownership of that wasn't a necessarily a positive thing was the southeast. Uh, the south end zone seating. Um, any movement on that since then or any more rethinking or are you still in that process of trying to vet ideas? Well, Bobby, you're with me. So you see when you go down there, it's like on the south, you know, when we designed the building, 
one of the things we had to do, and I think intellectually you look at it one way, then you look at it from a fan from respect perspective. We still owe $300 million on the books on debt from the building project of whether it be Cooley, whether it be the baseball renovation, football renovation, and the big, the big renovation we did with the Southeast, the whole East side, 300 million. To, and we had never addressed the football building. As Mac Brown told me, we did a lot of things for the fans, but we did nothing for football and for our current student athletes. And everyone was investing in football specific buildings across the country. Alabama's had three projects before we finished ours. Ohio State had three. TCU, we did two massive ones. So you started with, where were we investing? So when we looked at that building, I needed to figure out a way to build the building, but I couldn't add $200 million in debt. That's, we were, we don't, we were, right now, I pay almost $25 million in debt service a year. Think through that. Good, bad, or what? That's the first thing that comes off our books, that debt payment to the bank, which goes out to like 2039. So that's encumbering a lot of your finances. So one of the things we had, how do we raise money for a project? And we had, thank we had, we had eight founders that gave us 10 million each. And then we did some Lowe's box seating. And then we did the lower, the field block. When we looked at the field club seating, I took a little bit of page of Jerry Jones and said, okay, this is how we created, but they were on the 50 yard line. So, so I understood a little bit of, in the end zone, I thought for sure they would go up to their seat. So you got seats in there that are 20,000 a seat or 40,000 a seat. You pay that price. Then you, on top of the $4,000 a year, you got to pay. So I'm like, for sure, they'll go up and down. Well, we sold a thousand of those and uh, they're all on the field, staying down there, having a great time and not going to their seat, but they're in the stadium. That money helped pay $25 million helped pay off of the building. It's an awesome investment that way, but it's not a good investment when you're trying to create an unbelievable packed house. And I get our fan base. They're like, have you lost your mind? No, because I was looking at it from a business perspective, but now we got to address it. So now I'll do InBev service. We'll do in food, InBev uh, food service up there. We'll start to just do some things a little bit different and say, okay, guys, I get it. I can't put people in there and then people down below. Fire marshal, it's not built that way. It's crazy as it sounds. I go, why don't you just sell the Gracie's? I can't do that. It's just that we already encumbered by how the capacity of the, uh, of the way the enclosure of the building is. So we're going to have to rechange how we do some of our operations. Um, eventually, we'll put a scoreboard on the on the other side as we move forward. But I needed to do some other projects before I, I, I address that issue. Um, but fundamentally, I understood what we were doing. I just didn't anticipate the fan behavior just staying on the field. When you and I are down there, you can't see the field, but you see the party. And if you ask Steve and the student athletes, they love the tunnel. All the people are there. They think it's the greatest thing ever. And then when you look on TV, you just see empty green seats. But the coach, the kids love when they run out and they have all that energy. So we got to do, we just got to, we got to retrain our thought. And I'm going to do some things to create a better environment. And then we'll do chachis and giveaways throughout the stadium. And what do we do? Pom-poms or t-shirts or uh, towels. We got to do some more interactive in our game, our in-game experience. But at the same time, I moved 20,000 students from one section to the other. Because in the Southeastern Conference, they, they, they demand 25 seats in the lower bowl. And I couldn't put, and our band wanted to move. So I said, okay, let's just do it all at one fell swoop. So it's just going to be a little bit crazy. Yeah. I, so basically what you're thinking on the Southeast end zone at this point, or South end zone, excuse me, is incentivizing people to actually stay, go, go to their seats. Um, it's interesting well, Bobby, about you, another you, school you, board. That would be outstanding well, having been in that where you're, you're kind of, if you're, you don't want to be looking back over your shoulder, you know? 
Um, well, Bobby, here's a question for you. I gave if you gave me eighty thousand uh, uh, dollars just to, for the right to buy the two seats, and then you're paying four, eight thousand dollars to sit there. What are you gonna look at me and say, "Hey, wait a minute"? You know, now I got to look at you and say, "I can't thank you enough for that economics. You help us pay for a two hundred million dollar building, but I need you to go in your seat." So now I got to go back and say, "What do I do better to create a better experience for you that you go up there?" Now the fans down below. They're like, screw you. I paid for this. I'm going to do whatever I want. So they're mad at the other side too for getting called out. So it's I, I think I, I, my personal opinion is, is that, uh, you know, I think you're going about the right way. You have to incentivize people to want to be in the place that you want them to be. I mean, it's just I, like you want them to be inside the stadium. You got them there. Now you need to get them to, to different part of the stadium. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I think that of all the things that, that you've done, uh, the Bevo Boulevard experience, game day experience is phenomenal. I mean, I just, I feel like you've done a great job. Um, I want to end this in something that's not necessarily University of Texas specific related. And uh, it, it deals with the future of the NCAA um, and where things are going. Uh, we've got the NIL, you know, things may be, may be getting out of hand. They may be normalizing right now. We don't know. Um, but the Knight Commission, which is the watchdog of sorts for the NCAA, uh, suggested back in December of 2020 that the football FBS group should actually break away from the NCAA and create its own organization. Um, you are one of, you said it yourself, Texas is one of the four or five places that's the straw that stirs the drink you're in that situation where that's a power broker, power broker type. Okay. How does this all look? Has there been any movement in that regard? Has there, what are your, what is your general thinking on it? What is the thinking of your peers at other major institutions? Uh, anything you can give us that would be. And I, and I think you gotta, this is like a repeat conversation that's going on forever. Remember in 1983, we were we, we, the, even the president of Oklahoma, Georgia, and I forget what other president was involved in suing the NC2A for uh, college football to leave the NC2A because they were only televising one game a week, and they did. When they broke away, you know, the NC2A only oversees compliance and academic uh, eligibility from football. Football really resides in the CFP and resides in conferences. The economics of football did not go to the NC2A. The NC2A's only economics is the basketball contract. So it's interesting, it's already there, meaning the basketball contract at a billion dollars a year goes to the NC2A, the football contract goes to, to, the, to the CFP and the Bulls, and the television contracts go to the conferences. So it has nothing flows to the NC2A. That broke away in 83. The problem is if you're going to have a complete breakaway and say, so the 65 school is going to take their ball and leave, let's just say, create their own division, create their own conference, their own NC2A. Each state has two senators. Remember, now, now we're asking federal government to say, wait a minute, I'm at this particular school and I'm not, I, I got voters and I'm going to let you leave and you're going to hurt my brand or my state. It's never going to happen that way. We're in a really weird position. Uh, my wife's a math professor, Rice, and she always tells me, I don't grade to the A student, I grade to the C student. We're not governing, the, the NC2A does not govern in Texas. There's 1,300 institutions that belong to the NC2A, Division One, Two, II, and Three. They govern to the lowest denominator because the lowest denominator has the most numbers because you get voted on every bill. So part of the problem is you're constantly saying what's good for Texas, 
may not be good for Trinity or may not be good for Willamette University or may not be good for whatever school it may be, uh, uh, Midwestern State, because there's so many more of those institutions that belong to the NC2A tournament. For instance, the basketball tournament only generates $2 million of revenue to, to, to Texas. But $2 million to, to another institution is a huge number. To me, it's not that big of a number, relatively speaking, to my overall budget. So when the governance of the NC2A is governing to those 32 conferences, and you got Division I, II, and three, 1,300 members, you're not governing to the top 1%. That's our problem. But we also can't get away because the NC2A tournament is the David and Goliath of all David and Goliaths, what our country is built on. And everyone loves that. And all of a sudden, if we were to create our own, what would that do? So there's all these pontification, or people pontificate what it could or could not be. But the reality is very slim. You know, and, and so it's real. So I look at it and say, how do we work within the institutions we have now? Part of our move. Where do brands go? You know what I mean? Uh, we had to, the Big 12 was great for us, but we had to look at, wait a minute, when they took away uh, the right to write off your priority seating in, in DKR. Now that, that dollar is an entertainment dollar. So Bobby, you're saying, wait a minute, I give you $5,000 a year. You should be able to write 80% of it off. I can't now. That's a $5,000 ticket. Who we play matters. We are trying to be great in every single sport we produce. Our goal is to win championships in every sport. And I know we have done, we, we got to get better in a lot of our sports, but we're, but we're working towards and there's a plan. But rising tide floats all boats. Our move, Jay's vision is that Texas becomes a premier institution in the country, public institution, and athletics is the front porch. So we must act like it, we must unite, and we must be together in doing so. Yet there's going to be steps along the way where people are going to go, hmm. But as long as the family stays together, we have a chance to be really, really special because we've had 10 years of just absolute horseshit, right, in terms of our own splintering effects, whether it be our, caused our own fault, whether it be conference shifts, Four schools leave and they blame us. It wasn't our fault, but four left. We had different things within the Big 12 that Texas gets blamed for. Some point in time, we got to say, you know what? We are Texas. We're going to stand up for ourselves. We're going to be responsible for ourselves. We love everybody, but you know, oh God, oh hey, you know, you got to fish too. We're not going to fish for you as well. We need to do ourselves and take care of ourselves. And this move and what we're doing is to take care of ourselves to put us in the very best position to get healthy again. Gotcha. So, so. I, I hear you on all of those things, I, and I and I agree with it. Uh, I think that uh, Texas has too often uh, been the facilitator in propping some schools up that not necessarily uh, were contributing in a like manner. At the same time, uh, Texas hasn't necessarily met that demand on the field, right? And so there, there's that juxtaposition that that is a problem. Uh, but from a from the NCAA perspective, you've heard of nothing that really grabs you and says hey that might that idea might work or anything well they have we have a new committee right now that, that's uh, that's looking at how we can do some things right now that that headed up by greg sankey we'll see i just don't think you'll ever see real transformational change because think about in our state if, if there's two schools that get to go here and two don't it'll cause a problem as long as everyone's in the same relatively playing each other in the same league we can be we can be semi-peaceful um I'm from the great state of New Mexico. Well, if you took New Mexico in one league and New Mexico State in the other, <laughs> it'll cause mayhem at the old governor's house. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the more that you can try to create governance that's within, within the overall structure, I don't think that we need to be governed by 
uh, uh, the one, the 1300, Division Two, Division Three. There needs to be. Wait a minute. Here's practical rules that the University of Texas or schools in this ilk can be. Perfect example is NIL, uh, the academic incentives. Uh, we spend significant amount of money. We spend about 170 to 180 thousand dollars a year on each student athlete. Whether when you start taking strength and conditioning, you know the, the medical, all the things that we pour in each kid, it's about one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Other schools do not do that. How we travel, how how we rest, what we try to do to give our kids the very best chance to win. And part of what you're discussing earlier was, well, my soapbox for a moment, but let me run some by the idea that they did a, they did a study and they talked about uh, arrivals. A lot of schools identify, there's, there's three schools identify Notre Dame as a rival, actually five. There's three schools identify Auburn, I mean, Alabama as a rival. 11 schools identify Texas as a rival. The next closest is 5-11. USC has three. 11, I sat with a guy this past weekend from Baylor that all he would acknowledge that we are the rival of Baylor. I'm like, but isn't TCU a rival? No, not just you. Interesting. So our kids, every time they paddle the field, they're taking on the very best. And, and for our fans out there, they had to go in the Stark Museum where Daryl Royal left all his letters. It is awesome. And one of the letters he says, we got, this is a 10-game schedule. We got more talent than anyone for four games. We're going to wipe them. Four games, we're going to have to play out of our rear end because equal talent. But two, we're going to have to get lucky because, you know what, we were going to overlook them. And they'll just come up and bite us in the rear end. And he was really referring to the TCU game, the cockroach game, right? That game where you're going, wow, because that was his best team. So when everyone's gunning for you every single week and they throw the biggest celebration when they beat you, look what the reaction when Arkansas beat us. You have to then realize you have to get the very best people up front and we just got to go in there knowing that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Chris Del Conte, athletic director, University of Texas. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know the fans appreciate you uh, taking the time uh, to discuss things with them and try to give your you vote, your view of how things are going and what's going on. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, and best of luck to you as you uh, get out there, sell the season tickets, get it going. And uh, hopefully uh, Steve Sarkeesian and crew and the baseball team is, is number one in the country and basketball tournament. We've got a bunch of stuff going on in, in Longhorn Nation. And I know you'll be uh, rooting them all on. So will the fans uh, of Inside Texas as well. So Chris Del Conte, for Chris Del Conte, I'm Bobby Burton. Thanks a bunch. And, and hook them, Chris. Hook them. All right. Take care. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.